Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Nurit Roshan Zamir, Lilui Nishmat Nurit Nur Shafarin, Bat Hanom Yehuda, sponsored by Asher Roshan Zamir. As well, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Jack Sonsino, Lilui Nishmat Yaakov Ben Nazli, for his Azkara, sponsored by his children and, and grandchildren. The week of Breakfast in the Class, sponsored by Michael Shemtov, dedicated in honor of the birth of a baby boy to uh, Ivan and Ariel Maman, Samantov Mabruk, Mazaltov, Hazakabaruch, that was yesterday. Very special. The week of breakfast in the class also dedicated loving memory Vanessa's mother, Diana Cohen, Diana Bat Sophie Charles, sponsored by Vanessa and Joe God. Uh, also dedicated loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safar, Philanthropies reached so many throughout the entire world. And sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you in your substantial capacity to good today and every day, where you could buy. Goods and merch at Capacity for Good in order to support uh, our mission over here to teach Torah and to spread Judaism. Rabotai, also, we have our end of year campaign. We would appreciate if everyone uh, could help us out with that. It's at uh, charityextra.com backslash EJSNY Chazak. Uh, I will put the link on the video and as well, it is on our social media too. Rabotai, the Pasuk tells us. Yosef was unable to hold himself back to all those that were standing there. And no one stood there when, you, when uh, Yosef um, was able to uh, come out to his brothers and tell them who he really was and, and set the, 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 uh, the wheels in motion for the reunion with his father after so many years. My friends, I, I always was struck by something very powerful. And, you know, there's something wonderful, so many, so, something so special about the Torah that you could go through something so many times and each time you look there, you find something new, you find something different, something uh, that really uh, stirs the imagination and, uh, and provokes an emotion and a reaction from the soul. So I want to share with you just one thing that uh, really kind of moved me tremendously when I was reading the parasha, you know, uh, in this in this uh, in this iteration in this turn uh, around the Tana, uh, around the Chamisha Torah, the pasuk tells us that in this moment Yosef was lo yachol hit apek, and we discussed yesterday or two days ago, excuse me, what was the lo yachol Yosef hit apek, what caused this inability on behalf of Yosef to be able to hold back. What caused it? And then the reaction afterwards is Yosef takes everyone out of the room and he says to the people that are left in the room, he says, Ani Yosef haod avi chai. And the entire story comes to an end with those words from Yosef. Ani Yosef haod avi chai. Five words. Now, the Gemara tells us on this uh, line, Amar Abba Kohen Bardela. It's a Gemara, it's also a Midrash. The, uh, the Midrash tells us that Abba Kohen Bardela used to say, Oy lanu miyom adin. Oy lanu miyom atokhacha. Woe is to us from the day of judgment and woe is to us from the day of rebuke. You see, Yosef, he was the youngest of the brothers. But he turned to his brothers and he said something that was so piercing in its emet, in its truth. They were not able to answer 
uh, him when he said what he said to them. How much more so in the end of days when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to say, not Ani Yosef, but Ani Amonai. What are we going to answer in those moments when we recognize the truth of God's existence and when we lived a life that didn't show that we were aware that God was present in every moment and every decision? What are we going to answer? So woe is to us from this moment um, because you see the brothers had nothing to say. How much more so will we have nothing to say? And I was struck by the brevity, the, the simplicity of what Yosef is actually saying. He doesn't launch into a whole, a whole soliloquy. He doesn't, you know, to, uh, to be or not to be. That is the question. He doesn't launch into some Shakespearean, you know, monologue, you know, to, to push all their buttons like Yehuda had just done. He doesn't do that. He says the simple truth. I'm Yosef. You guys all thought I was a sketch. <clears throat> you thought the dreams were uh, imaginations of power. Look, look at where we are. He doesn't even say that. All he just says is, hi guys, I'm Yosef. You know, they tell a, a story about, uh, about uh, two fellows, two people, sitting on the bus. And they're chatting, they're talking, you know, about this person that they know from the yeshiva. The guy he doesn't come, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. He's not the best guy, you know, whatever. Like this, back, forth. You know, the truth is, I thought this, he dresses like... On and on, the whole conversation. Anyway, end of the bus ride, um, the person sitting in the seat in front of them stands up and turns around. It's a woman. And the woman says to these two guys, she says, I want to thank you. So they say, why? They said, you know, this whole time, you guys have been sitting talking about this boy in your yeshiva. They said, yeah. She says, well, I have a daughter. And someone suggested that this boy should go out with my daughter. And thank, thank God, I'm sitting here the whole time. I heard everything that you said. And now I'll make sure that they never go out that this possibility is squashed before it starts. The two boys hear that their innocent Lashon Hara was heard by this person who was going to let her daughter go out, whose daughter was going to go out with this guy, who, or maybe was going out with this guy. They say, no, we didn't mean it like that. It's not really true. He does come. It's this and that. They're like answering, don't trust us. Do your own research. Like they feel terrible. Anyway, the woman, she gets off the bus, she says, no, I just want to thank you, thank you very much. And then before the bus, the door closes, she smiles at the boy, she says, the truth is, I don't have a daughter going out with that boy. She says, but I could have. I don't have a daughter going out with that boy, but I could have. What would have happened if someone would have overheard the Lashon Ara that you were saying, you know? You think sometimes you're talking about somebody no one in your vicinity knows. But here she expressed, how do you know that nobody knows? Maybe they're about to do a deal with the guy and now you killed it. And the guy really needs the money. You ruined this parnasa. My friends, there's something here that's so powerful. I'm not talking about the Lashon Ara, although there's a very powerful message there. That line, I don't have a daughter going out with this guy. But what if I did? But I could have is so strong that it changes the game. 
Ani Yosef, Haod Avichai is so strong that it changes the game. How often is there a one-line sentence that if you knew that sentence, it would change the game? My friends, you see someone acting in a certain way, and automatically you assume all sorts of terrible things. But it's not until very much later that you find out that the person was under pressures that made it impossible for him to do anything else. Guy stealing from the company. The guy's a zboo, he's a, he's a he's zift, he's the worst, he's this, he's that, you want to kill him. And everyone says the guy is untrustworthy, he's a monster, he's selfish, he's this. Then you find out, but Minan, that the guy's children, the guy has a kid who's not well. The guy has a kid who was kidnapped, uh, they're holding him for ransom in Mexico City. Barminan, horrible. What would you do if you needed to get your hands on a million dollars to save the life of your son? You don't know. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying in every scenario you have to expect that the guy has a kidnapped son, that the guy has a dying father. Barminan, barminan. But how many times do we find that information, like they say, ex post facto, where after everything is said and done, you realize, oh, that's what really happened here. He didn't, really, he didn't really quit his job and leave the other people out to dry. What was going on was they were taking advantage of him for so many years until he couldn't deal with it anymore. You hear somebody, you know, who did something very bad. A lot of times you have a situation, kid gets thrown out of school, everyone's up in arms, I can't believe it. Had the rabbi do this, da 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 Then you realize, actually, if you knew anything about the story, that's not the story. What happened was the kid was actually, you know, abusing another kid in the class. They tried to keep it quiet for the kid's future so he could get help and then maybe move on. I'm not saying that's the right decision. That's the wrong decision. But you were ruling on a scenario that you know nothing about. Oftentimes, there's one bit of information that if you knew that bit of information, it would change the game. So my friends, one way of Ani Yosefing is waiting to hear Ani Yosef. But there's another way of Ani Yosefing, and that is seeking out what is the one bit of information that if I knew it, would change my perspective on this person. Because almost all the time, I find out that if you look into it, you find out. You wonder why a person is not so nice to his wife, and then you find out what's going on behind the scenes about how she's verbally abusive, how she's emotionally abusive to him, how she does all these crazy things. And then the guy, all you saw was the one time he defended himself. Now, no one is answering or saying anything is right or wrong. All we're saying is that sometimes one sentence is enough to change the game completely. So go find it out. Go see. Because a lot of times, like they say, there's a famous line, from, uh, uh, what's it called? From Sherlock Holmes. For those of you who don't know Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes was a fictional detective who worked for Scotland Yard. One of my favorite books growing up, written by? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, exactly. Wonderful, uh, you know, relatively Baruch Hashem, clean, you know, super interesting. The English is a little bit by now outdated, right? But the English is a beautiful old English, it's a classic. 
Wonderful to read, okay? There's a line that, that Sherlock Holmes says all the time to Dr. Watson. Does anyone know which line I'm referring to? Uh, that game is a foot is a good one, yes. Sorry, elementary, elementary, my dear Watson, is the second most famous line. There's a third line. The third line is, he says, that when you eliminate all possibilities, whatever possibility is left, no matter how outlandish it is, it is the truth. Okay? So you eliminate the other possibilities. The only possibility left is X. And then X, no matter how outlandish it is, it is the truth. My friends, sometimes that is our job, is to try and figure out why is an otherwise nice person acting in a way which doesn't seem nice. Maybe there's another reason about, maybe there's something else going on over here. Why is this ordinarily honest person? It's not that he suddenly became a rasha. What's going on with him? You have a guy who always comes to shul. Now he's not coming to shul. What's your immediate reaction? Oh, you're slacking. Well, you're thinking, well, you're, you're ditching shul now. But now you're not religious anymore. We, we come with such sharp words, not aware of what's going on behind the scenes. Oi lanum yom adin, oi lanum yom Woe is to us on the day of judgment. Woe is to us on the day of rebuke. Now one of the questions that's asked, the Bet HaLevi asks a very famous question. He says, why do we say, woe is to us on the day of judgment? Woe is to us on the day of rebuke. Aren't those the same day? What's the difference between the day of judgment and the day of rebuke? And the Beit Levi has his answer. But I'd like to suggest an answer which I'm sure is not as good as the Beit Levi's. But I'd like to suggest an answer which I think is very simple and cuts to the heart of the matter. Woe is to us from the day of judgment is not the same as woe is to us on the day of rebuke. Because you know what? You could only rebuke someone if they didn't get something right and they should have got it right. Excuse me, you could only punish someone if they should have got something right and they didn't get it right. But if there's no reason why they should have got it right, are you going to punish them for that? How am I supposed to know? How in the world was I supposed to guess? Right? In a scenario like that. Can you punish me for that? No. Sometimes it's not a Yom Hadin. But it's still Yom HaTochacha we could still give you rebuke. And let me give you an example of this concept. There's a wild story that happened to one of the Rishonim, actually. And he wrote a piyut about this, uh, about this story of Rabbi Shimon Agadol. He wrote a piyut that the Ashkenazim, they say it in their prayers on the high holidays, come communities. Hazit, this rabbi, had, him and his wife had one son. Anyway, the kid was beautiful, he was brilliant, but he was very, very young and very cute. And at the time, they had a non-Jewish woman who used to come to the house. She would do with things around the house that only a non-Jewish person could do, turn on the ovens, whatever. She was very devout, Christian. She sees this beautiful child. He's so smart. She decides, you know what? She sees him home alone one day. She says, what a kid this would make for the church. I'm going to bring him to the pastor, to the priest, and let the priest save his soul baptize him, and convert him to Christianity. She does, she grabs the kid. She brings him to the, back to the church. The priest immediately spirits him away. Unfortunately, this wasn't such an uncommon occurrence. It happened throughout these countries. People believed that they were doing the Jew a favor 
um, by helping him see the light of Yeshu, Yimach Shemo. Anyway, that's what Yeshu means, by the way. Yimach Shemo v'zichro. That's why we give that terminology. His, that, was, that was not his name. His name was Yeshua, and we changed the name to be able to come up with that acronym, okay? Anyway, the point is, Rabbi this kid is spirited away. He's being raised by the priest. The husband, the father, Rabbi Shimon Agadol, his wife, they come back, the kid's gone. They look through the whole town, they're crying, they're fasting, they're doing everything they need to do. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu has closed the door, they have no possibility, they don't find the kid. Meanwhile, this child is moved all the way to the house of the cardinal in Rome. And the cardinal in Rome raises this kid as if it's his own. He's very smart, he picks up languages in a breeze. He's able to understand everything they teach him almost instantaneously. He makes great strides in moving forward, first to become a priest, after that to become a bishop, after that to become a cardinal, and now he's in the conversation to become uh, the Pope. The Pope dies, and eventually this little child, whose Jewish name is Elchanan, by the way, Elchanan is eventually, no idea he's Jewish, he gets appointed to become the Pope uh, in Rome. My friends, this child has no idea who's so well-respected, who's so well-spoken, who's so bright, is a Jewish kid. As time goes on in his job, he starts to realize some things about his past that don't add up. I don't know, it's not like today when, you know, you, there's no pictures of me when I was a kid on, uh, you know, on iPhoto. It's not like that, right? But he starts piecing things together, things that didn't quite make sense. And eventually he realizes and he uncovers the fact that he's a Jewish child. He does tremendous amount of research until he finds actually who his birth parents were and he uncovers that his birth parents is the rabbi of a, of a Rabbi Shimon Agadol who lived in the city of Magenza. Okay, very famous, one of the famous cities uh, in, Ash, in the Ashkenaz uh, uh, you know, story. He, he decides he wants to meet up with his father. But what's he going to do? How is he going to get in touch with his father without uh, you know, jeopardizing his position? After all, he's a very wealthy man. He, the Pope at that time was the most powerful man in all of Europe. They were more powerful, the Popes, than the king. In many instances, the kings knew that if they didn't listen to the church, the church would have them, depo you know, uh, what's it called, uh, knocked off, and they would bring someone else in. So the power and the money was so great that even though he knew he was Jewish, it was, he, was, he struggled to just run away and run back home. So he came up with a plan to bring the rabbi to him. He passes a decree that in the city of Magenza, the Jewish people should not be allowed to keep Shabbat, should not be allowed to do Brit Milah, should not be allowed to, keep, uh, to study Torah. The Jews in Magenza can't figure out why the Pope in Rome is passing laws on their city, and their city alone. They're fasting, they're praying. They send a delegation of rabbis, chief amongst them who? The rabbi, Rabbi Shimon from Magenza, back to Rome to be able to see if they could overturn this terrible decree. They get to Rome, the people go to the cardinal of Rome, and they ask him, is there anything that we could do? We know this came from the Pope. He says, this comes straight from the Pope. Only person to deal with is to take it to the Pope. And the Jews of Rome can't figure it out because the Pope has never been against Jews. In fact, he likes all peoples, all religions, but he has a soft spot for the Jews of all the other popes, many of which were very cruel. They can't understand it. They said the only way is to take a delegation 
of the most chashuv rabbis in Rome and the most chashuv rabbis that came from Magenza and to go visit the Pope. Vayihi hayom, he was very, uh, uh, what's it called, very well versed. His favorite game was playing chess. And there were many times that he called in the wise Jews of Rome to play against him. Anyway, they get to the palace. They uh, usher him in. The Pope says, as soon as my father, this man walks in the door, he doesn't say, my father, the Rabbi Shimon, bring him in for a private audience. They come in, the, the guards ask, is there someone here, Rabbi Shimon? The guy says, yes. He says, are you from the city of Magenz? Yes. He says, the, the Pope allows you to enter. Guess he knows I'm coming, the rabbi says. He walks in, the, ch- the Pope is in the middle of playing chess against some guy. The, the man, the rabbi sees this, this is his chance. He falls down to the ground on his knees in front of the Pope. And he says, please, I'm here as a, as a messenger for my people. You know, this is the lifeblood of the Jewish people. It's so important to us. You're a man of God. You believe in your religion. You know, how could you, let, how could you stop a whole, a whole people from, from fulfilling their religion? Don't you see how important it is? You know how important it is. On and on, he's crying and he's begging. The priest now, who's seeing for the first time his father on the floor, he's doing everything he can control. To, he can to control himself. He's, uh, you, know, p- you know, focusing on the game, moving another piece. He says, no, stand up. You don't have to be on the floor. Stand up, rabbi. And he continues playing the game to try and control himself. And the rabbi sees again that the priest, that this pope is not moved. So again, he puts him, throws himself on his knees, begging by his robes, you know, for mercy, for clemency. Finally, the man says, listen, this is uncomfortable. We'll finish the game later, he tells, uh, he tells his playing mate. He says, uh, he goes, Leave me, give, me, let me, give me some time with the rabbi. Anyway, the, he tells him, pulls up the rabbi, he says, he says, Rabbi, don't you recognize me? He says, where would I know His Excellency? His, where would I know His Holiness from? He says, didn't you have a son many years ago? His name was Elchanan. He says, I did. He says, I'm that boy. Ani Elchanan. They grabbed me, they brought me to a house. I had no idea that I was Jewish. They raised me as a as a as Christian. I did all my studies. I excelled in everything. They moved me from rank to rank, and now here I am as the Pope. And I knew that the only way to get you here quietly was to actually come up with some sort of ruse that would bring you here under the prete- under the pretenses. At that time, by the way, if the Pope would actually, uh, people would find out that he was Jewish and he was going back, Jose Bechuvat, he was going to Esha Torah, right? They'd kill him. We actually have a story like that of one of the noblemen's children that converted to Judaism, Count Patatsky, in the city of uh, um, uh, Lublin, excuse me, right, where uh, they actually put him to death. A crazy story where he converted to Judaism. So he says, I had to come up with this whole story. He says, but don't worry, I'm going to cancel the decree immediately. He says to his father, he says, but dad, is there any way for me to be able to come home? For me to be able to do teshuvah, I'm a Jewish boy, I don't belong here. This is not a job for a nice Jewish boy. <laughs> the father says, of course. He says, even if you worshipped, even if you bowed to Yeshu, he says, you were anus, it wasn't your fault, you were kidnapped, it's not your fault. And then the son looks at his father and he's breaking down. And he says to his father, he says, but dad, he says, that's true in the beginning. He goes, but at a certain point, I found out that I was Jewish. I even found out that I was your son. But instead of running away, the power and the money, it meant so much to me 
that I wasn't sure I wanted to jeopardize that by throwing it away and coming back to Judaism. I'm sitting there in the church giving speeches. I'm praying, doing, leading the prayers. Is there any hope for my soul? And the father says to him, he says, in davar, there's no thing that stands in front of teshuvah. He says, you were honest that got you there. You were trained to think in a certain way. You were given all this money, you have a terrible nisayon. En davar, there's nothing that stands in front of teshuvah. The son hears these words, he breaks down in his father's arms, he says, go back home. I'm going to write a cancellation. He goes, I have one or two more things to take care of. He says, and then I'll figure out a way to make it back to you. He sends the cancellation of the decree. He gathers some of the money that he had together. He figures out a right time. He writes a document, an entire book, and he passes a law that every uh, pope that follows him has an obligation in doing their job to read this uh, treat, treatise, uh, treatise, I don't know, treatise, treatise, I think. I'll get the correct pronunciation from Nathan Lowe afterwards. Now we'll read his document that he's written about Christianity where he points out all the questions that there are on Christianity, uh, where he points out all the negative sides that he's found in the religion. He puts this document out with the seal, the papal seal of the Pope. And then, my friends, the Jewish Pope disappears. As far as anyone can tell, he's drowned, he gets lost, he dies in the forest, nobody knows. But this Jewish boy makes his way back home, changes his clothes, changes his name back, to his father's house where he becomes Baal Teshuvah and lives out the rest of his life in his father's house. My friends, I'm sharing this story with you not only because it has an Ani Yosef, an Ani Elchanan moment, but because it has another such moment. The father says, Rohi, it's not your fault, you were kidnapped. And then the boy says, but dad, I knew better. I should have been better. And the father right then has a chance to change the life of his son. The right way with the right sentence, the wrong way with the wrong one. He could have told him what you knew, and you bowed to Avodah Zarah anyway. You knew, you recognized you were Jewish, you're still playing the game because of a couple dollars, you're a worthless piece of garbage. <laughs> you, you knew, and your mother and I are sitting at home crying for you, and you didn't do anything, you didn't send anything, you didn't send us a message, you're a cruel, heartless person, never want to talk to you again. That chance, when someone comes to us broken like Yehuda is, when someone comes to us, we have an opportunity to tell them, you're crying now, you're crying about your father now, you don't give a darn about your father. When you sold me, what did you think about your dad? You know, that's what he could have said to him. He could have said to Yehuda, oh, you're, you're worried about this? He goes, you know what, you guys did far worse to me. He could have killed Yehuda and the brothers in that moment with one sentence. But in the end he said, Ani Yosef, The only thing that's important to me is his dad still alive. Can we come back together? Can we rebuild the family? Can we sit at the same table? After a fight, my friends, there's an opportunity for someone to say one sentence that puts it all back together. One sentence that says, this is fixable. Let's work it out. Or a person could say, there's no chance. There's no hope. Forget about it. That ship sailed. 
It's water under the bridge. We're too far gone. And I bet you could think of a lot of sentences that in one sentence say or spell death for a relationship. And you could think of sentences, one sentence, that spell uh, a welcome back home. May Hashem bless us to seek out the sentences that change our perspective on people and to be able to be the ones that deliver those sentences that reignite hope in the heart of someone after a very difficult time. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Chalanya.